like that this is a rough road, but a catalyst for change in a society is usually persona non grata with those who have been the beneficiaries of the system. A catalyst for change has to be able to withstand the insults, the humiliations, the abuses, and the slurs. What's wrong with my running for president of this country? After all, for 15 years, I have been the ghostwriter for a lot of them. Did your grandmammy tell you that bitch don't get that pocketbook out unless the nigga put some cash in and stop coming home with an empty stomach and an empty pockets and a wet pussy? Sublime Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Haberdashi, aka Aeolus White, aka Prasanna Nangrada. Welcome. I hope everybody is having a good week. You know, for the past couple of episodes, I've been filming or well, recording in the daytime. And you know, what I'll say about that is. That I like it. I prefer her. I do. I prefer her. The only thing about it, like I said, I've been complaining about the heat. But, you know, I think I'm getting used to it, I think. I don't really know. But, you know, just so any new listeners know, I will be drinking water throughout the episode. You know, that's what I miss most about the night episodes, though, is that I used to just get drunk on mic, just be wasted. You know, I would start out, you know, let me have a couple of wine, a couple of sips of wine. And then before you know it, I'm like pouring shots. And it's just, it got out of hand. There were some episodes where it did get absolutely entirely out of hand. So, you know, we try, we try to, we're trying some moderation. I was also talking to a friend of mine and. We getting old, y'all. I mean, I'm not, I don't speak that. I don't claim that. I love my age. I love what my liver does. I love that my body still, you know, I always say ass fat, dick heavy. Even though we're going to get into that um, this episode. But, you know, it is the case that drinking, like, every day is not cute. <laughs> like, in the beginning of the pandemic and the quarantine, I was, you know, just to relax, just to have, you know, find um, find a bit of, you know, just to facilitate my relaxation, I would just have a drink, you know, as is customary. But, I, you know, I just don't think that... The girls, the girls naming, namely, you know, my my body, my blood pressure, my liver, my, you know, just athleticism. Like, the girls weren't trying to hear that. They weren't trying to hear that. And, you know, I haven't really been out here, like, fucking or anything. But what I will say is that I have a suspicion that drinking every day is not good for dick game either. So, you know, thou shalt find moderation in your embodiment of, I'm not sure embodiment's a word, but of alcohol. This episode, I'm doing something a little bit different. I am filming it. So I started, I began the process of starting a Patreon, a.k.a. I created a profile. And, you know, I'm trying to get her up and, up and you know, up and running. I'm trying to get 
some coins in here um, via my content or via the exploitation of my content. And I think I want to put video up. I'm not sure. I'm a really I'm self conscious when it comes to self conscious when it comes to filming and having myself be you know on camera in a very like authentic way. Like I just I don't know. Like I don't know. But I'm playing with it. And if it pops, I'm gonna put it on. If it don't pop, y'all ne- y'all never gonna see it ever. You won't know that I did it. This episode will be redacted. Like I will. I am. I just have lied to you. You'll never see the video. But if so, I think. If I do like it, I think I'll put it up there and that will be part of the tiered experience. So you'll get just, you know, free shit, obviously via Instagram and we'll try to do some more stuff on YouTube. But my, the sort of private or really, really intimate poetry, the video content and stuff will live um, mainly on Patreon. But as I said, we're, we're experimenting with her. I opened the episode with a snippet of a speech from Shirley Chisholm. Um, for those who don't know, she's the first black person to run for the to for office for the presidency. Um, I want to say in the 70s, like 72, but I could be just making that up. But I, it is early 70s for sure. Um, I imagine it would be 72 because 68. Yeah, but... Um, and I put a quote or a snippet from Suki. She's a rapper from her Instagram. You know, it's funny because these things might not seem related, but they are related to me. Like when I listen to what Charlie told us we should expect as people that are with the shits, people that are advocating for uh, folks of color, and or just for marginalized groups for liberation in general, you know, it's not an easy road. You should expect to be insulted. You should expect things more grave than insult. And then, you know, Suki kind of on the other end talking about, you know, taxing people for the use of their bodies. And for me, it introduced a question about a question of, you know, as as somebody who is down for the cause, who's with the shits, who wants to help people, what are the things that I deserve in that context? So, you know, a couple of us, a couple of my friends and I spoke about this yesterday. I'm still exploring it. When I get, you know, some wisdom, I shall share it, of course. I mean, there are some tidbits that I, that I kind of have come to, so I'm happy to get to that at the end of this episode. But I do want to start with just clarifying some shit from the episode, from last episode. So just a quick recap. Y'all should listen to it. Y'all should go back and and hear me talk my shit. Like, obviously, I want you to do that. No shortcuts. However, I am going to quickly summarize what I talked about in the context of Beyonce's Black is King. And actually, it's not really about that. It's an insight that came to me as I was talking about it. And for those who are new to the podcast, you know that my Black ass does not pre-plan. I do a little pre-pro during the week. Like, I open a page and write my shit in. But I try to speak organically I try to you know push myself but also you know to I think it's more engaging for people to just see how my insane brain works and how I connect things so I didn't pre-write my analysis or critique or whatever of Black is King 
However, in that discussion, I stumbled upon something that I do think is interesting, which is black fetishization of black people, right? Like, I think that... So the point that I was making there, at least in the context of Black as King, is that I noticed that, you know, when it's time to feel proud, when it's time to to discover or to foment or to engender a, a, a global or even like just a widespread sense of pride, we always reach back to old black Africa. We reach back to an aesthetic that is not modern, but, you know, there are some cultures that preserve some of this aesthetic, obviously, but we reach back to, you know, to the continent of Africa, to the black parts of Africa and to old tribal aesthetics. And then when I, the problem with that for me is that it diverts our attention from the present. It participates in some form of erasure of what we have, how we have contributed to the movement today or what, not even how, we, how we've contributed, but who we are and where we are in the present. You know, what, how to mobilize, how to empower us now. I think that when dominant culture, white culture, capitalist culture, culture that likes to or that seeks to derive value, monetary value from what you create, right? When we don't acknowledge the value of what we create today, it furthers or supports or maybe just, you know, confirms, doubles back on what's happening to us already about like what we contribute today. You know, the parts of our culture that we don't have access to, particularly like something like music. You know, we think we think about how the creation of rap is a predominantly black art form or predominantly black, you know, a result of black genius. But the people who own it are rarely black. The people, the communities, right, that this culture, this genre comes come from, or yeah, that this genre comes from, aren't reaping the widespread financial benefits of that cultural asset, right? And and when we when we don't lift our shit up, and when we don't say that we deserve this, and when we don't do this, like it helps confirm it facilitates the white erasure or the white or our dispossession at the hands of white culture so our white people so you know etc right so then i jumped from that point and just started talking about how you know on top of that Everybody wants to be melanated. Everybody wants, by everybody I mean in the black community. So black people, when it's time to feel pride, we lift up melanin. Melanin this, melanin that. You know, melanated, melanated, you know, all of that. Da, da, da. But on a everyday basis, we don't lift up dark-skinned people. We allow for dark-skinned... We create an environment in which dark-skinned people don't always feel beautiful, don't always feel seen, don't always feel celebrated. But when it's time to feel proud, we, we refer to them, we use their bodies as reference, 
We use their bodies as symbol of pride, but on an everyday basis, we don't lift those people up. And to me, and to me, it's very similar to, it's very similar to the fetishization that you would experience at the hands of a non-black person. You know, it's very similar to, you know, admiring an aspect of someone's physicality, but dehumanizing them in the process. You know, so you can admire black skin, you can admire melanin, but, you know, when it's convenient for you, when you want to base yourself, when you are looking for something to base your self-esteem on, but you ignore the entire human attached to the melanin. You know, what, what that emotional reality is like for that individual, not just emotional. I mean, I always emphasize emotional because I'm an emotional ass person, but it's not just that, right? It's, it's financial, financial slash economic. It's, you know, other aspects of class, like education, access to healthcare. It's like, we don't we don't do we just want we just want dark skinned people when it's time for to, to for us to have a mascot. And very similarly, you see it when we talk about curves, you know, when it's time to celebrate black women in particular, we focus on the curvaceousness, the the luscious lips, but lips as metaphor, or lips as analog to, you know, titties, to ass, to, to, you know, that hourglass figure, that thick, we like that, as though there are no skinny black girls, which there are. But aside from our skinny black women, which there are. But aside from just the erasure of the skinny, there's also, like, you like curves and ass, assuming you even like that, because a lot of it's presented in a very unrealistic way where you got ass but no stomach, which is not how that works. Like, if you got ass, you got some. I mean, I'm obviously not a woman, but when my cakes are sitting, 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 when they're, like, really sitting, like, when they are... <laughs> there's a little stomach, there's stomach that go with it. Oh, there's definitely stomach that go with the with the cakes, okay? Um, especially when they're si- I mean, when I say when they are sitting. Mm. But anyway, um, but you know, this this type of unrealistic body type that, you know, but we ignore we're fat phobic as well. And we're not just fat phobic, like, you know, we're talking the most extreme versions of fat. I mean, what we lift up as beautiful on Instagram, what we lift up as beautiful even in real life, you know, which is funny because behind closed doors, we know that men stick down, they stick down what they, they stick down a lot of things, okay? But magazines, what media, what black media lifts up is, is a certain type of woman, so it's like only when you want to, only when you want, you know, to feel sexy in a in a in a black prideful sense, in a non-objectifying sense, that's when you see the curves. But every day, you're fine with the objectifying. You're fine with creating an aesthetic and supporting an aesthetic and exporting an aesthetic to um, the highest bidder, whether it's a Kylie Jenner, whether it's like, you know, fill in the blank. And that kind of thing is, 
to me, and I feel like I'm an expert in fetish because I am a black queer man, right? Because I am a dark-skinned black queer man who, and this is why I mentioned it, I put a pin in it with Ass Fat Dick Heavy, who, in a lot of ways, you know, fulfills stereotypes. And not, you know, this is, and like, I have a lot of pride. Like, I, my relationship with my body is one that I constantly feed. I feel like when I, when I, when I stop the self love train and I allow the world to, to do its thing against my body, that I end up in a place where I don't love my physical form. And it's something that I focus on particularly like every couple of years, but I think I need a practice that's a little more constant than that. Like just find, just maintaining, because I've already found it, but maintaining a sense of my own beauty that is not tied to instrumentality. So even the asphalt to heavy phrase, I like it because it's funny to me, but I think it does speak to, um, speak to the instrumentality that is that is programmed by white supremacy. It speaks to, um, or at least I should say it has hints, not even hints, it directly refers to um, the things that we as a people are fetishized about, right? That we are, that the, the, the fetishes that other non-black, but even black people have about us. We're talking about the big dick stereotype. We're talking about the fat ass stereotype, which I, I talked about this on the episode of called On Beauty, which I think is my favorite, one of my favorite episodes that I've done. I keep referencing it. So it must be like, you know, um, that episode where a lot of, some of these things have I'm not going to say origins, but I will say parallels in slave trade, in breeding people and breeding blacks and breeding slaves. So it's not, we should feel pride about our bodies, of course, but it's important for us. I think when I say asphalt or dick heavy, I'm saying this knowing my own humanity. I'm saying this with my entire humanity in tow. And I am somebody who constantly investigates and interrogates. Like anybody who knows me on a personal level knows I'm constantly thinking about me in the context of my family, my friends, the world, unearthing traumas and pains and joys. And, you know, I'm constantly in the self-exploration, self-improving, you know, self-actualizing space. And it causes me a lot of stress sometimes because, you know, I, everything is connected to everything else when you are constantly endeavoring to, 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 complete the project and for I mean obviously there's no destination point but for me you know integration being fully present being able to call upon all of your energies and your gifts and you know to love unencumbered these are things that that indicator denote like being a fully integrated ass person and that's something that I want for myself so when that is the project it can be kind of wild but I, I say all this to say that when I say as fat dick heavy I am thinking about it in that context well I have that context but without that context 
right? Without that context, it looks just this. It looks like it looks the same as fetishization and, you know, as, as white fetishization of black bodies. And the argument can be, or rhetoric can be, well, black people in general have that context. So it's impossible for black people to fetishize other black people because we all have the context of our humanity. We share a narrative, we share certain things. So we know that when we talk about that girl with a fat ass, and we're not just talking about her fat ass. We're talking about her narrative. Or when we're talking about melanin, you know, when we're lifting that up, we're not just lifting up. We, we have the full context. And I would cry bullshit. I would cry bullshit. Because to me, that's just not true. We see with the way that patriarchy, colorism, femphobia, misogyny, you know, all these things, how they play up like in an internist scene, like in, within our community, we know that we don't always acknowledge each other's humanity. We don't, right? Like that's just not what it, that's just not the truth. And it's, it's hurtful. Like when we talk about building community and we talk about advocacy and we talk about, you know, activism and mobilizing a movement, one of the first things, but potentially the most challenging thing is to look at the person and look at your neighbor, like they say in church, and say, I see your humanity too. I'm acknowledging today your pain, your trauma, your joy, your, your everything. And I'm celebrating you and I'm standing with you. Your imperfection, your, 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 flawed, your flawed nature. You know, I am here to, to, to fuck with you on that level. And I don't, you know, that's not common. You know, you look at somebody and it's like you see this a lot when we talk about the strength of, you know, black women, the strength of queer people. Yeah, we've had to fight for a lot of things that we have. That's why we are so resolute. But that, you know, one of the things that I am focused on, and I'm going to leave this actually on this point, because I think that it makes sense to jump to vulnerability here, is I try, I recently tried at least, to lead with vulnerability at the expense of being overly serious and dark. You know, a lot of times, you know, at the, not the expense, but um, with the side effects of being overly serious and dark. Like, I want people to know, to peek behind the curtains and say that, yes, to, 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 to understand the paradox of what it means to liberate yourself and what it means to care about liberating your community. It's like, yeah, you can have, and you, I'm a strong person. I have persevered through a lot. You know, I continue to persevere. But that doesn't mean that there's no pain, there, that there are no moments that, you know, that I struggle to get up, right? That there are no, that this is easy and that there's no, there's no, there's never any doubt. Or there's never the exercise of doubt. You know, that's something that I did not mean to talk about, but I'm going to have a, we'll do this and then we'll get to vulnerability. I think doubt, for me, is an often an exercise. I know that it's, an, and it's the antithesis of faith in some ways, but 
I guess for me, what I find is that I should have moments of doubt and I should have moments of overcoming it. The practice of overcoming doubt is the practice of strengthening faith, knowing when to lean humbly on faith is what strengthens character for future conflict, what readies you for whatever is coming next. And I feel like the idea that I can never doubt, I'm so strong, I'm so infinite in talent is like, or an ability or whatever is nice. To hear, and I think it's important that you surround yourself with people that believe in you. And I think I think that is something that can never be overstated. You need people in your life that believe in you, period. But I think personally, the exercise of doubt, when done with a self-loving nature, the exercise of doubt, when the goal is to overcome doubt and strengthen faith, I think should be welcome and should be done in community. Um, what I wanted to say, I think this is my last point, which is kind of, I think I'm talking really fast today. So I'm kind of getting through my shit. Low key. I don't know, but whatever. I, yeah. So what I, I, I said something a bit earlier about at the, with the side effects of being, of being um, some shit. I said side effect of being dark and serious, or ex- exceedingly so in both directions. Whatever. What I have realized, or what I ha- I've been realizing, but I want to share, is that you know vulnerability is often, especially between patriarchal folk. Or no, men, patriarchal folk, whatever, is often is often described or delimited in sharing darkness and sharing sad memories and sharing regrets, sharing pain. That's often how we determine whether or not someone is vulnerable. You know. Sharing that content, the the things that we don't return to in our consciousness. I think that on that point, not just what you share, but how you share it is important. You can share things that are intimate, but you can do so without emotion. You can do so in a way that distances you from your audience or the person that you're talking to. You can do so without eye contact. You can do so without physical touch or whatever your your sort of avenues are for intimacy. You can do those things. You can not do those things but still be sharing intimate content. That's something that I think... I have done, but tons of people do, obviously, because you kind of have to, right? This is this is part of the activist struggle. When you are a fully integrated person, I shouldn't say fully, but when you seek integration as a project, 
And what I mean, what I mean in this context is when you want the political to not be abstract. So when you want to tether political abstract ideas to real human emotional experience, when you want to link that, which in my opinion is the only way to do it. So I shouldn't say, which is the way that is sustainable in community building and actually like the most effective and humanizing way to do it. It's not just discussing reparations on an abstract plane, using abstract language, mounting economic arguments, financial arguments for the funding of it. Like all that is cute and on some level it needs to be done. But there are people who can point to the graves of their ancestors, can point to the cyclicality of white supremacy, how it pillaged and ravaged and like, you know, destroyed their families for centuries and can do that today. I mean, I am one of those people. So when that's the case, conversations about reparations are not abstract at all. But the situation is if I were to get up and argue reparations in front of Congress, like I couldn't sit there and cry about my dead grandfather, cry about my dead great-grandfather, cry about the homes that no longer exist, cry about the people that have died due to X, Y, and Z. I couldn't do that. I would have to come, I would have to make a cogent, logical, legal argument for the support of reparations, which means I would have to support, I would have to suppress my emotional life. I'd have to suppress that emotionality that is hot underneath my skin to make this point. You know, which is, this is a tangent, which is why I don't explain shit to white people anymore. That's, that's why I don't. You know, because, I, because all I'd be doing is dehumanizing myself for someone else's understanding. I already know the tea. I'm living the tea. So, you know, I, I can't be getting into these conversations, but regardless, so going back to advocacy and activism, you know, when you face, when you're, when you're facing this, the external world, the bleakness, the elements, and you have to be, you have to channel your emotion out. Well, some people suppress it. I think the right way is to channel it, and I'm working on channeling it. But if you have been socialized in a masculine way, or if you have been not even socialized in a masculine way, if you have trauma, the, the, the solution to trauma, the, the fake solution to trauma is to suppress the pain and work through it. And that's, you know, a lot of people in my life have done that. Mostly black women, but queer men as well. They just work and achieve through the pain. They work and achieve through trauma. And learn to suppress, ignore the, the things and to work in spite of them. And that's something that, you know, has survival value in the sense that you literally survival in a capitalist sense, like you literally transact, you're able to participate in the market and get the, the, the resources that you need for whatever. But the emotional dehumanizing element, that, that, those side effects are, are crazy. They are incalculable in a lot of ways. To counteract that, and not just to counteract that, but to offer an alternative when it comes to intimacy, community building, what vulnerability means. I think it's important for us to realize 
or has been important to me to realize that there's vulnerability and silliness. There's vulnerability and joy. There's vulnerability and fun. Like, so a lot of us probably have things that make us laugh that we don't share. Like, you know, we a lot of people share jokes. Like, you know, I, I don't really share. I sometimes share jokes, but, but not just... Like I can share a joke, but what I notice is that there are a lot of things that make that make me feel good that I don't necessarily share. Like y'all already know that I'm a Mariah Carey fan. I love her, but I could watch that bitch all day. I could watch that bitch all fucking day and live my motherfucking life and feel great. You know, I can do that. Or you know, I'm looking at my bookshelf now. Oh, uh, uh, um, I don't know. I'm trying to look something. Like, I like to cook, but I don't like to clean, so no. Um, I like to bake, though, but I don't like to clean, so no. Um, let me see if there's anything on my bookshelf that I could, like, share quickly. I guess not. But, you know, I like to, obviously, I like to make music. I like to watch really bad tv i mean i watch trash not like trash like reality tv but i will watch like a fantasy if it's like a fantasy thing and the woman and the lead is a woman like i will watch it even if it's like garbage or if it's like adventure but like you know, it's, I will watch, like, trash shit. Like, I am permanently a teenager when it comes to what I watch on TV sometimes. And, like, just sharing that or sharing snippets or, you know, clips from things that make you feel that make you feel at home and that make you that give you a sense of security and just joy sometimes that takes vulnerability like i like a lot of the people that are typified as nerds that are we kind of make them feel uncool for the things that they like be it comic books or games or whatever it takes a lot of vulnerability to lean into that and be able to express that and to build your lifestyle around that and in some ways you know in some ways, that they're farther along in community building. They're farther along in intimacy and relationship building than folks that keep what make them happy. Keep that keep what makes them happy to themselves. You know, the the folks that are too that are too worried about seeming cool, or that are too worried about whatever it is that they're worried about to say. To be open about the things that bring them joy. And for those that want, that want to build intimacy, right, with, with people, but don't always want to be talking about sad shit. I mean, if especially if you, like, I'm sweating like a, oh, baby, this is not good. But, um... For the, if you are doing the work, like if you're an activist or an activist and you're writing and you are faced with not even just activism, any work that is human work. Like let's say you're a doctor and you, you know, are dealing with the pandemic and you've lost, you know, hundreds of patients at this point. Do you, is your ass really going to come home and go on a date and talk about pain? Like just, you know, it's just not... No, like there are ways to build a relationship, to be intimate and to be vulnerable that root you in light, 
that roots you in and 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 happiness, not necessarily suffering. You know, well, I should say celebration and not suffering. So with that, I'm gonna leave y'all, motherfuckers. I hope you have a great, you know. A great week. As you know, I'm recording on Monday, so you'll hear this tomorrow, but live on Tuesday. But, you know, enjoy the rest of your week. Live your truth. And I love you all. Thanks for your support.